Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. As we discussed in episode 147, most memorable hotel experiences, hotels can make or break a trip. Sometimes they bring you closer to a destination, sometimes they elevate your experience, and sometimes they ruin it. Other times, they're a destination in and of themselves. Scott and I have been very lucky enough to stay in many interesting hotels, good, bad, and ugly over the years. Today, we're going to share some of those experiences with you and note a variety of different styles that you might want to consider when you're visiting different parts of the region, from hostels to homestays, restored colonial mansions to tented camps, Ones over water and everything in between, there's a wide range of options for resting your head while on holiday in Asia. I'm Trevor Ranges at home, sleeping in my own bed tonight in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott. Where are you sleeping tonight, Scott? I'm sleeping in my own bed in Bangkok as well. But now, just looking through these show notes, I kind of wish I was sleeping in a cool, funky bed in some cool, funky location, but very happy to be talking about this one. It allows us to kind of relive some of these great places we've been and also hopefully share them with you and then they might end up on your radar. So Trevor, like what's your kind of preferred hotel experience? Gosh, you know, it depends on what you're doing. Like I was in Bangkok recently and I spent a couple of nights in a hotel while I was there. And that's different because I'm sort of like home. So I, it depends on what I want to do while I'm there. Otherwise, you know, like for me, if I'm going to a destination for the first time, I'd like, you know, a, a convenient location, something safe and something clean, you know, like I, I don't like to plan out all my rooms the whole time. I just want to like land, have a place I know that I can get to where it's safe and clean and I can sleep and shower and then I'll take everything from yeah, I'm with you. It depends where you are. What I like and appreciate after staying at so many hotels from really basic ones to really high-end ones is obviously clean. Like it's good to know someone cares and there's not cobwebs in furniture and in corners, but I just like it to be thoughtfully designed and laid out. And I mean, like I stayed in a jungle lodge recently that I'll talk about later, but like it was simple, but it was really clean. And you know what? They had mounted on the wall like a power bar because lots of people need plugs. That was great. You know, they had a little kettle with some actually decent instant coffee for breakfast. That was nice, right? Like the little things they had is what you needed and it worked. I don't really need a bathtub. Like there's once in a while that's nice, but like overall, don't just put one in to wow me. Slightly larger shower can be good. Even things that so rarely happen, like two towel bars to hang both your towels, lots of water, and hopefully like a refill station is one I really like. And a balcony, if, again, it's useful and purposeful, that's kind of nice when possible. It's funny. I didn't know this was like what was my perfect room. Because, again, like I'm not – like I don't need a bathtub either. But like I could use like a, a, a sunken in the beach by the water's edge jacuzzi or like a little infinity edge. Ooh. You know, like I, I could go for something like that, yeah. Or even little things like, again, that sounds nice. when they have a, like sunscreen – 
pumps like somewhere in the resort like on your way to the beach there'll be like a little pump that's got like sunblock in it so in case you forgot or you just want to like top up it's a good one like little things like that but again yeah there's like it depends on where you're going in the world or like if you're going to some indonesian island you're going to be looking for a different hotel than in tokyo japan or something like that you know so clean safe good location to start and then we take it from there I want to tell you, though, before we go further about a guy named Tim. And Tim is a really, really generous, smart, nice guy. And Tim gets an episode or a video or something between each of these regular episodes. And the reason he does is he became a patron. And patrons are people that financially sponsor the show from as little as a couple dollars a month upwards. And by doing that, not only do they get a warm, fuzzy feeling, but they get that extra content in between each of the episodes. We've even mailed people postcards. So be like Tim. Click sponsor or donate or whatever the button says on our website or go to Patreon, search Talk Travel Asia. Become a patron. Help us keep this going. So with that out of the way, Trevor, how are we going to approach uh, these hotels on this episode? Yeah, I don't know. But hey, thanks, Tim and other patrons. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully you like our tips. Hey, uh, so I just picked some random categories. I was like, what different types of hotels are there? And then I thought Mm -hmm. we'd just alternate uh, given some of our suggestions for each. And I started like pretty rustic. I don't know why I thought of homestays the first place to start with. But homestays are sometimes the only option um, in certain destinations. I live in Cambodia. In Cambodia, there's parts of Cambodia where there simply are no hotels. And a homestay is an option. Um, At the same time, I've stayed in a homestay in in Bangkok over near Adhir, Samsen. Okay, Samsen area. Down at the end by the water. Like there's like a floating little homestay place. Have you ever seen that? Oh, neat. It's a cool little restaurant. I, I kind of know that area, yeah. but that, that'd be a really cool area and, to stay. And the homestay is just you stay in a room with a family, you know? And some of them are a little bit more commercial and some of them are a little bit more rustic. But, like, uh, sometimes there's an association at Bente Chmar, which is up in the northeast, mm-hmm. uh, north, sorry, northwest of Cambodia. And Bente Chmar, homestays are your only options. But there's an association of them, that, and they've been doing this for, like, well over a decade. Um, one of them even has air conditioning now, which is quite nice. But uh, it's part of a whole community right. development tourism project. And they have, like, dinners outside by the temple. And you can do, like, a little buffalo cart ride. And each different community member gets to take turns providing the room or doing different activities. So it's kind of a cool way to experience the destination. Yeah, you've mentioned that one a few times. And, you know, one here on my list, like homestay number one to me is too broadly used these days, kind of like boutique was a decade ago with hotels, like what's a guest house and what's a homestay. But I think some of the ones in really rural destinations are neat. You, I, and our friend Harold, I think it's five years ago now, stayed at a place called Bee Treed in central Cambodia, which was really basic, but clean, very local. And yeah, there was this family living out there trying to save the trees. And it was great, much like Bante Chamar, because it's such a unique kind of remote place. So I think otherwise, like small towns, villages, they're a great option. But then even, you know, you mentioned Bangkok, like there's a canal called Bang Luang that a lot of canal boat tours go by. And they've seen a couple homestays out there when I've been out that way having lunch or on a bike ride. And I've thought, gosh, I even live in this city and that would be pretty cool to just stay on one of those. And then, you know, I think about Japan, I'm going to say these wrong, but like Ryokan, these traditional inns where you kind of sleep on a padded tatami mat, they're expensive, but like that is the traditional homestay as well. And you eat 
in those places and they're expensive. So you kind of have all ranges of the homestay, but uh, yeah, I think we've touched on some neat, simpler ones uh, there at the beginning. Yeah. The Rio Con. Now I remember Mark telling us about that when Mark talked about the lesser known Japan. Japan. Yeah. That sounded really cool. Right. And I guess maybe I was inspired by Cambodia when I was making my list because the next thing on our list is uh, colonial hotels. And uh, Cam- ah. Cambodia has quite a few of them, but you have a kind of a, an affection for this style of lodging. So why don't you introduce it? Yeah, I don't know why this has happened or how. I guess it was maybe in my when I was a co-owner of a travel company. Southeast Asia, particularly, as our listeners will know, was colonized by the French, particularly, and the British. And in some countries, you know, particularly, you know, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, to, to some extent, Malaysia... And in Myanmar, the the French and the British left behind these hotels. And then other places have built brand new, but have built in a colonial style. So places like Raffles Le Royale in Phnom Penh, or the Raffles in Siem Reap, or the Oriental in Bangkok, or the Park Hyatt in Ho Chi Minh City, the Majestic Hotel. I mean, if you've got some dollars to drop, man, those, I mean, to have a few nights in, in like a European design style hotel but you're in asia i mean that to me is just really neat and particularly if you read a book or look at some photos from that era um you know even the pavilion in phnom penh it's it's a colonial house that alexi who's been on the show before kind of converted into a small boutique hotel but that has that that real feel and even in bangkok there's a weird place like i don't know if i'd really want to stay there on soy too called the atlanta and it's almost colonial but yeah i really think having that kind of experiences is really really special yeah so backing up to the colonial real quick uh yeah like you mentioned the pavilion there's a number of places like that around cambodia that are uh they're not they weren't like grand hotels that are modernized i guess but they're more like Mm -hmm. just old colonial structures some of them were homes some of them were you know, trading poster or in Luang Prabang, I think that the Aman up there used to be a hospital. Yeah. So yeah, like the, the, you went to the related Chelong up in Chelong on the Mekong River yeah. near Prache here in Cambodia. And that's a cool building. But even the FCC in Phnom Penh, you know, the bar right on the riverside, they have a couple yeah. of rooms in there. I think there's only two rooms back in the day. And my parents stayed in one room and I stayed in the other one time. So there's some cool old buildings like that that you can stay in here and there. I, I thought of while you were talking, even like uh, in India, which we didn't touch on here, Tom Botter, who, who's been on the show a couple of times as a travel writer and talking about That's India right. specifically. I think he published a couple of books about uh, like old Indian palaces that had been converted into hotels, like photo books, like coffee table books of like these palaces that have been converted into hotels just because India is such a, a big country with such a long history that there's plenty of palaces to, to convert into fancy hotels, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And there's heaps more too. There's some in Malaysia. I stayed at a really gorgeous one in Surabaya. Like there's tons of them everywhere, but I think having a colonial hotel experiences is really important and a a cool way to travel, particularly at least for a few days. Trevor, you have a a really funky category. I I see on here next. Uh, That's not actually, that was a a follow-up on your Atlanta hotel. Um, Cause when you mentioned the Atlanta, because the Atlanta to me, like, that like it's not it's from the 20th century right not it's not like a colonial era I, yeah, yeah i suppose so like you know there's a bunch of retro style hotels 
particularly around Bangkok. And I, I don't know, the Atlanta might date back to the 1920s or something like that. Cause it's got like these really it cool might. old like switchboards to like connect to the rooms and stuff. You know, you live near the Malaysia hotel, which I don't know how old that thing is. Yeah. And it's that one's a it's bit a dumpy, right? But then there's the Miami hotel, which is kind of near the non between Nana and Asok stations. And that's right. got like yep. such this, this like, dodgy vintage kind of vibe that's like far enough from nana that it's still kind of got this retro chic and then the dusitani hotel of course which has been destroyed down there at silom that was so cool retro you know the dusitani in chiang mai though still has a lot of really old retro style features and stuff so i I like uh mid-20th century properties i think there's this kind of retro chic to the ones that they've maintained well over the decades Sure. And yeah, in Asia, you can find some that were built in, you know, the 60s or yeah. 70s that are pretty funky. I even enjoyed one on Sala. Uh, it's called Sala Don Con Hotel down in Sipandon and, you know, slept in the former French administrator's house, which is kind of between retro and colonial. And that was that was neat. But I see our next category. We're going real small. We're talking capsule hotels. Yeah. You know, I've never actually, I've, I've never stayed in a capsule hotel, so I can't, don't have anything to speak on this one, except that, like, you know, I've been in an airport hotel in Tokyo, which is just like a little room with a bed. But I think I've stayed in right. equally small rooms elsewhere. I think you might have stayed in a capsule hotel. I think we talked about that on the show once before. Yeah, we have. I've done two. And the first one was with Greg from Bangkok Podcast many years ago. We did a trip to Hiroshima and we stayed there in a capsule hotel and people only go for the night. It's meant for drunken businessmen, but we took our suitcase and they were puzzled and had to put it in like the back office. But it was about $30 for the night and included like you climb into a tube which is a bit weird at first but there's probably half a meter clearance between where you're laying and the roof and they have tiny tvs in the roof that even had porn channels and radios and you know a light and it was functional and it worked but the cool thing was that they had onsens there and they were a massive floor of onsens getting blasted by water and had a bar to have ramen and beers that was really great. I stayed in another one with my wife in Kyoto. Uh, it wasn't quite as good, but again, it had onsen, and it's just a neat, funky experience. So I think if you're in Japan, you should at least try one night in a, in a capsule hotel for the funky, weird experience of it. Yeah, you know, when you when you frame it that they have like an onsen and a noodle bar and stuff like that, like if it has cool, mm. nice facilities, and all you have to do is like tire yourself out and pass out in your little tube, then it might not be so bad. I feel like if you're like checking into a hotel and then it's just like an elevator and then like a little closet, then like that sounds horrible. But what you, what you, the picture you paint is a little bit more attractive. It is good. But again, they're not built for like having your big suitcase there as foreigners now put them outside the capsules, but yeah, it's a fun experience. So uh, what do you want to talk about next? Um, Why don't you take the lead on a couple of these? Okay. I don't have any experience at any of these, but my friend told me that there are short-term and love motels across Asia. And as you become more experienced, I think, traveling in Asia, you see them more and more. Like Bangkok's got tons of them, which are generally you drive your car in and then there's a parking spot and they'll pull a curtain behind your car so that people can't see the car or the plates that are there and you go into the room. But I did actually sleep on one off the side of a major highway cycling out of Bangkok with a friend. And for some reason we shared a room. I don't know why we were being so cheap back then. And and it was a bed with a heart 
on the sheets and only a black light on the roof. And yeah, they're, they're, they're cheap, they're inexpensive and so forth. But I know when I've walked around particularly places in Japan as well, and I know they exist in Korea, that their love hotels are very popular because people live in, in tiny little apartments, but you know, they also live with families. So if they're going to have a romantic encounter, they can't really do it at home. So they'll maybe get a, a love hotel uh, in Bangkok. The Nana hotel is, is a fun place to people watch people come in and out. So I think they exist in, in Asian countries in different forms and capacities, but love hotels are a serious place. I don't know if you'd want to stay like on a trip by yourself or with your, your spouse or anything. But uh, yeah, what, what do you have on them? Yeah, you know, it's funny because in my mind, there'd always sort of been just like these two camps. Originally one, it was like this crazy Japanese sex thing, you know, like the, the Pirates of the Caribbean theme room or the James Bond theme room. And they have like yeah. outfits and everything, cannons, and God knows what, like waterbeds, obviously. And on the other side, it was like after I moved to Thailand and you'd be like, huh, why does this hotel have like curtain parking? And it was just like, uh, you know, like a little quickie, the afternoon delight joint, right? But yeah, like, I don't know. I, I haven't had the opportunity to stay in one except for that one layover I did in Korea. People who want to hear that story can go to uh, the show notes. Uh, I'll put a link to that old episode where I, it was at our airports and layover story where I stayed That's with, right. this, with yeah. this girl who sat next to me on the plane. She and I shared a love motel layover room for a little while. It's a good story. Yeah, but it wasn't a James Bond room or Pirates of the Caribbean, you know. I think it would be cool. Like it might be fun to like, maybe next time, like I'm passing through Tokyo, I'll, I'll rent one of those rooms for a night <laughs> just to, to, instead of a capsule hotel, I guess. I don't know. Do the love motels come with own sons too. We gotta look into that. I don't know, but as you're a single guy, you should definitely try and meet someone and, and have the full motel experience. I'm married, you know, although that could be a fun way to, to yeah. spice things up in a marriage too is like have a night at, at a proper love hotel maybe get a, a nicer cuter one so hey there's something maybe on my list my wife doesn't listen to this so it'll be a big surprise for her so how about like let's go to a total opposite end of the spectrum what about hostels and backpackers like what do you think of these why would you stay there etc Excellent question. Well, we're, we are recording this episode on October 5th. Tomorrow is my birthday. It's October 6th. Right. And uh, back in the day, I used to book like an AirAsia ticket. Like they give free tickets out if you booked them in advance. And I would sometimes book AirAsia tickets to like Hanoi. I went one time and I just booked myself a room in a backpacker. And I was like, I'm going to make some new friends for my birthday this year. And like backpackers are like and hostels are the best places to meet new people and to meet other travelers, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, here in Cambodia, even we have like the, the mad monkey and there's a revolution. I drove past the revolution in uh, Bangkok the other day. And these people, these, they're like fun, active, outgoing people you can meet. Yeah. I mean, better if you're younger, it's kind of weird. Maybe if you're like our age and hanging out in backpacker joints. But uh, I think in general, like, there's different degrees, you know, there's flash pack, there's really dodgy. You can find a cool, good 
guest house or backpacker in any city, I think that that's worth staying in. Right. I did a lot of them when I was in my 20s traveling and you want to save as much money where you're sleeping so you can spend it on beer. But I kind of, you mentioned flash packing is I like this emergence of, of flash packing ones that are probably, you know, more like 30 bucks a night, 25 bucks a night, but you know, it's just a bit nicer. It's equipped a wee bit better. And I've stayed in a few of those and those kind of places can be really good value. I know that around Baghdad street in Singapore, there's some pretty nice hostels and backpackers. So I think if you're, if you're trying to save a wee bit of money as you go, you could splash out a wee bit. Uh, and, and again, like you said, great place to meet people, right. And find yeah. out what's going on and get some tips as, as you go along the way. I have one more tip for that then. Cause you were saying like with the flash pack thing and, and splurging a little bit, I find that like sometimes like when I was going back and forth to see him and before I got my place up there, I used to stay in the love D guest house there. Right. But like you just, right. you, you pay for like the nicest room. Like some guest houses have like, like a suite, like occasionally I'll find some flash packing place that has like a suite and their suites are like awesome. And like, they're always available for like $30. Cause like no backpacker is going to splurge on the suite. But then like you have like, point. it's kind of like the capsule hotel where like you have all the benefits of staying in a backpackers because there's like some pool party going on and there's like cheap, good food and everything. But then you have like the nicest room in the place, which is still cheaper than like a standard room across the street, you know? You've reminded me of a trip my wife and I did to Kuching and I found, yeah, what well, was a bit of a nicer backpacker, but they had one room on like the third floor that was way nicer than every other one. And it was around $30. So you've, yeah, you, you bring up a really good point. It's worth looking for those sometime. I see you have theme resorts next. What does that mean? So the next one? Yeah, I don't know. I just wrote down theme resorts. I thought I could come up with more than one or two. But I really think like the main one I was thinking of was the Shiva Som, which is a spa resort. So maybe that would be the kind of thing is like different spa resorts. Because like the Six Senses, that's kind of like a mm -hmm. spa oriented resort. But the Shiva Som is like immersive, like you're you're locked in there and you're not allowed to drink coffee. And they have cool like flotation meditation stuff. It's like, uh, you know, where movie stars go to like detox after like, you know, some serious method acting, I guess. Um, but there's some cool spa resorts, right? Like Six Senses or so Navakiri. Have you been to some cool like spa oriented or other like kind of theme resorts like that? I've been to some spa ones, but you know, along that line, like you've mentioned surf camps, you go to some places like Bali or Sri Lanka and there's like ones that are geared around the particular sport, like surfing, or there's, you know, jungle or wildlife type lodges, or there's mountain biking lodges and places. So I kind of like those, you know, where you're staying and they're actually suited to that particular thing you're doing. I encountered a really cool one in Bangkok, just after Chorong Krong Road and Silom called Prince Theater Heritage Stay. And it's an old movie theater. And you, you walk in and yeah, there's, you can see where the big movie screen was. And, and that was kind of cool. Um, you know, I even think some mountain resorts in, in certain places, thinking about Thailand a little heavily, like, you know, they'll have wagon wheels and make you feel like a cowboy. But I know a lot of countries in Asia have themed ones. So like, if you want the weird and wacky, search online, like Japan's got them, Taiwan's got them. I know like you can just find those wacky themed resorts. Like, hey, I'm in Italy now or something like, yeah. Well, can, yeah, I guess it's not so fun. strange because here we have like an elephant you know, like the Elephant Nature Lodge up in Montlokiri or something like that. Yeah. So I guess, uh, right. I guess it's not that weird. If they're like, they're like romance hotels, but instead they're, uh, esoteric. Even their next topic, which was like tented camps and jungle lodges, like staying in a tent, like glamping. Glamping is really just kind of like a theme kind of resort, don't you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think people like you and I that grew up in North America that had, you know, parks and and proper campsites where our families would take us as kids. A lot of people living in Asia where there's not as much open space didn't have that experience. So it's definitely gotten popular again, particularly in parts of Southeast Asia where they have tents up all the time. And so, yeah, you go glamping, you go in there and they have a nice mat, they have the sleeping bag, the tent, a fan, they have a block of showers and that's become super popular. I know even in Thailand, like uh, trailers, like they've gotten the camping trailers and they'll have those permanently yeah. set in areas. Kauka uh, in Pechabun province, Kanchanaburi has a lot of those. So, so that glamping, yeah, has gotten very, very popular. Can we have a trailer park party next time I'm in Thailand? <laughs> sure, we can. You have a couple noted that you like in Cambodia. What are those? Yeah, here in Cambodia, there's a bunch of tented camps. In Thailand, they are as well. And, you know, I love glamping, I guess you want to call it. And they're all kind of different. So the one is the cardamom tented camp. And we've had uh, John Roberts, we had someone else. We, we did a couple of tented camp episodes, I think. Or we've talked about this a number of times on the show. Um, that's very like natural. That's very much towards the camping end of the spectrum where it's more about like, you know, comfortable accommodations in a remote area. Right. But like the, the one in Kiriram, the V Kiriram, that one's like, you know, it's, it's got a bit more flaws and stuff, but it still has like a USB charger for your iPhone when you're sleeping and like a, a nice little shower, even though there's like giant tukke, like geckos you know in between the bathroom and the, and the tent itself but then we have the shintamani wild which is like mm -hmm. uber luxury i mean it's like you gotta jump up to get onto your bed because it's like so palatial and plush and or you can pass out outside like they have these giant like kind of catamaran like nets like hanging above the river that you can sleep in with like giant pillows and stuff it's it's ridiculous and beautiful and there's a lot of options that people should check out that episode where we talk about yeah, go to the show notes yeah that's a good one i'll mention a couple more tiger tops in nepal is super famous for like one of the original jungle camps in that area and of course you can get them in india and stuff i've mentioned Permai rainforest resort outside of kuching on malaysian borneo that was really neat but i want to give a shout out to a place that really impressed me recently, and that's Ban Maka Nature Lodge. It's in Pechaburi province, mm. sort of two-thirds of the way down to Hui Hin from Bangkok near Gengkachan National Park. It's, you know, it's not luxurious, but it's well thought out, clean. Uh, a shout out to Games and Ian, the owners. I think if you want to be in a natural setting, that's another good one. But taking it from jungles, you have floating hotels here, Trevor. I don't know why this came up, but I was thinking about like Kanchanaburi. Kanchanaburi has come up in conversation a lot for some yes. crazy reason. Um, but they have like floating hotels like up on the lake and stuff like that. I've been to the green house in Kampot, which has some on the river's edge. And around Kampot, there's a number of places where they have kind of floating rooms on the Kampot River. Huh. Um, which is kind of nice because then you have a hammock and you kind of feel the water you know, move in. And pretty cool. Have you ever done any like floating hotels like that? You know, I've stayed in one or two and I can't remember where or when, but I don't think I was in nice ones. And they kind of, the idea puts me a little off because they got to be kind of clean. I mean, over water ones, of course, Maldives is yeah. super famous for that. Uh, places like Gokut in Thailand, uh, the island down near Cambodia, I know has over water ones. I think you got to spray out for that a bit. I do know in uh, Kausok National Park, 
which is kind of north and a little east of Phuket. Uh, they have quite a number that float on water there too. And I did enjoy Four Rivers and Tatai in southwestern Cambodia, which was awesome, a little bit luxurious. It's changed names and owners since, but uh, man, that was a really cool experience. Yeah, I think overwater, that's like a different thing, right? Because when I'm thinking floating, mm. like you could never float in the, I guess you could float in somewhere in the ocean, but like the floating ones, I always think of like rivers and lake and overwater. Yeah, like Maldives and stuff like that. Uh, that's pretty cool. The, that the Song Sa here in Cambodia, it's overwater. Ah, right. And then they have like a little glass window in the floor so you could look down and, and they they put like a tire or something underneath your room so that like a big fish will like make it a home, you know, so you always have like all the fish swimming around under your room. So I thought that was pretty clever. Uh, yeah, overwater is pretty cool. I'd even want to slide. If you're going to do overwater, you should have a slide that goes <laughs> into, into the water for sure. Agreed. That would be slick. How about cruises? Can we can we talk about those next? Because that's we're sticking to the water theme. I've done like a river cruise, but I've never done like an ocean cruise. Well, I guess I have. I did a liveaboard in Australia, but that's not Asia. The cruise thing, I've been on a couple of river cruises, and they're usually smaller boats, and it's kind of this kind of intimate feel, and they're these older boats that, like, I don't know, it's like a nostalgic way to travel, I feel. Uh, whereas, like, uh, you know, on the ocean, it's a different story. Now that you mention it, I don't think I've done a single cruise in Asia, although I've dreamt of it. I did send my parents a few years back on an incredible nine-day Panda cruise in uh, kind of mid-Myanmar, and they absolutely loved it. But Panda went out of business during COVID. They also did a three-day cruise in uh, 4,000 Islands in southern Laos. Uh, I do know that our friend Adam and the team at Grasshopper have some really neat kind of boating and biking trips where just as it sounds, like the boat rolls up to shore, you cycle, it goes up or down river, you get back on. They have some neat ones in Cambodia, and I know in India, up on a river there too, that look quite intriguing. So that would be a, a pretty neat way to travel and sleep. Have you ever done Halong Bay? Ah, you're right. I have slept on a junk in Halong Bay. Knew it. Two different times. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just because uh, uh, my neighbor, former neighbor up in Siem Reap, he recently went up to Halong Bay, uh, with his girlfriend, and they got some really good deal on a private boat that cruised them around for a few days just because there's no tourists up there right now. And he said it was amazing. So I'm like, I've done that. My parents have done that. I'm like, I'm sure you've done that. Yeah, they, just even from Ho Chi Minh City to Phnom Penh, that took like four days. I don't know, maybe it was, it was that was a long cruise. But like, if you have a good book and, and you go with a good outfit that has pretty cool little side trips that they can put you on little smaller boats to take you down little yeah. side canals to, to little villages and stuff. I think some of the river cruises around the region are cool. Uh, as for like ocean cruises, again, I've, I don't know. Indonesia would be the best place to do like a liveaboard kind of dive fishing boat or, or the Maldives. My friends went on last year that dive surf boat trip, like that kind of thing would be awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of them that go through Asia, like you've mentioned, you know, covering from, say, Philippines downwards. I know my parents also raved about uh, stops in Kerala in southwestern India, and they go into a lot of canals there and whatnot. So cruising is really popular on some of those canals, particularly in Kerala, India. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think there's just a couple of random things left on our list. I just, I was thinking for city hotels, like sometimes you want to get like a, a spectacular high rise view. Like sometimes I like to be 
down more street level it depends on the city i'm in you know and the history of that place and yeah. what, what gives you the right vibe for for that destination so one of mine was when we went to beijing um we stayed in a hutong and a hutong is is actually like a, a neighborhood it's a type of little back alleyway these huge chinese cities like beijing and so like if you can get a hotel in a hutong it's it's almost like going back to like a, it's not a homestay it's an actual hotel but it's specific to like these little neighborhood hotels like a hutong hotel and uh it's so cool because these are like these cool old chinese buildings and they have like those cool arches and there's a courtyard in the middle of where all the rooms are it's just like it's such a neat experience to to stay in something that like it feels like the destination that you're visiting rather than like you know some just standard three-star block yeah, totally agreed. I think we might have stayed in the same one at different times in Beijing because I looked it up and when we were in APLP, the leadership program in Hawaii, separate years, uh, we stayed at one called the Beijing Templeside Courtyard Guest House. And that was a very cool hutong place. Is that I don't know. It was, I mean, if if when I was picturing it or describing it to you, you pictured it, then, then maybe it was. <laughs> I think that's it. And, you know, not quite the same as hutongs, but like Phuket, Old Town, and like Malacca and Penang in Malaysia have like kind of the local equivalent of those too, like very local uh, shop house kind of places too. So it's it's kind of along the lines of uh, hutongs, but same, same, but different. Yeah, you know, so it's weird because like I really, it depends on the destination. Like when my parents came to visit me in Asia early in my stay, you know, like when we go to a beach, like they don't want to necessarily stay in, in, in a nice resort because like the resorts often have so much of the same feel. It's like staying in a resort, you know, they'd rather stay with a family run place so they can meet the people who own it or get to know the people who work there. Like, uh, you know, like get in touch with the local community, if not the culture as much as you can, you know? So like, you know, I don't know when I pick my hotel, like if, I don't, if I'm going to Bali, I want to surf. Right. So I want like best access to the surf, I guess. But uh, if I'm going to a new destination, you know, like I said at the beginning, I want something that's kind of clean and safe and convenient. Uh, you know, I guess you're just going to look for a different uh, type of hotel, depending on why you're traveling or where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. Different trips, different purposes. But I'm with you kind of on regardless of what you're trying to get out of the hotel experience is often trying to pick a place that is truly local, local owned and so forth. We hope that everyone listening got some value from here and got thinking about some interesting ideas for your next trip to Asia. Thanks for listening. Remember, become a patron, click donate on the website or go to patreon.com and sponsor the show. Get the extra bonus materials in between each of these episodes. Thanks in advance to doing that and much love to all of our current patrons. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. And thanks everyone for listening. And uh, yeah, fun episode we got some great links here on the show notes so go to talktravelasia.com and check it out i got a link to the best love motels in thailand for time out magazine and links to uh, a <laughs> bunch of our old hotel episodes tented camps with john roberts and marius herman uh donate to the show and uh come back in two weeks and we'll have a new episode for you thanks for joining us on talk travel asia we look forward to sharing with you again soon Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and 